Tonight we're going to be speaking about the time period prior to the High Holy Days, which is uh, a time called Slichot. Is anyone not familiar with that word, Slichot? I'm not familiar with it. This probably won't be very relevant to you, then you'd be more than welcome just to head, head home. That's it? Forgiven. That's right. Forgive. It's actually the idea of you know, penitentiary type prayers. But the idea of self reflection um, in preparation to, to be part of the High Holy Days, uh, Rosh Hashanah, and particularly uh, Yom Kippur. So, as it was uh, mentioned by Abraham here, the idea that it's still from the word Salah, meaning to forgive, literally uh, forgiveness. But again, as you see in your notes, the idea that this is the series of, of traditional prayers. If you were to look at a traditional uh, siddur, does anyone not know what a siddur is? I raise my hand twice. You can raise it twice. It's like you know somebody that doesn't know what siddur is. Because uh, siddur comes from the Hebrew word seder. What of a seder? Passover seder. Remember what seder, what the idea of seder is? It's the idea of order, right? Order. So uh, a siddur is a prayer book and the order of prayers. So that's what we call it, siddur. Um, but in a siddur, if you were to pick up a, a, an extensive siddur, there's a whole section I did today of slichot, the actual prayers. And there are prayers for all of the specific days and the specific times uh, leading up. So, because uh, in Judaism, you know, this, the idea of free-form prayer is, is, is not a typical thing, which is ironic because we, I think when you read in the Bible, you see so many what I would say are spontaneous you know, prayers, you know, you read Nehemiah, even when you read, when you read Paul, which people you argue he was Jewish, but the idea that there are so many prayers that are just spontaneous, Song of Moses, Song of Miriam, these kind of things, yet in terms of tradition, there are set prayers. And there's, you know, there's a prayer for eating, there's a prayer for after you eat, there's a prayer for going to the bathroom, there's a prayer for exiting the bathroom, all these kind of things. And, and we might laugh or scoff at that, but the reality is that you read some of these prayers and they're, they're phenomenal prayers. So the idea of set or, or traditional prayers is not something that we should shy away from or be, uh, be hesitant about. But that's what Haim's going to speak about as he comes forward. So I was like, had to jump in and tell some jokes here real quick. But um, so that's the that, that's a, I gave just a little introduction to the word slichot, traditional okay. prayers, okay. and the idea of tradition and how they come from the siddur and so forth. So probably only got through the first two slash marks there in your notes. Thank you, guys. There you go. Appreciate it. <laughs> He does a lot more than just pinch hitting. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, we have a uh, major Baruch Hashem tonight, and I'm going to embarrass him because I've lived long enough uh, to do that. Uh, Avraham has a new set of, uh, what do you call them? Choppers. Choppers, thank you. Yeah, he looks like a new man. All right. <laughs> Having said that, uh, Mr. Yochanan from Okay, um, to follow along with what Rabbi David was saying, um, if you come from a church background, then you're used to uh, Christian tradition, and you may be listening to us talking about Jewish tradition. So I want to talk for, for just a minute. Uh, can, oh, I thought maybe this is some advanced technology here. So um, tradition, um, tradition can it, tradition is neutral. Okay, it can either be positive or it can be negative. Uh, if you remember Yeshua talking to the Pharisees and saying, your tradition invalidate the word of God. In other words, because you are so uh, convinced about the value and the necessity of your tradition, because of that, you put that over uh, against, against uh, scripture. Uh, and by the way, uh, I don't know if, if Rabbi David mentioned it, but um, according to rabbinic tradition, if you have a dispute between uh, rabbinic tradition, i.e. the oral law, halacha, and, and the written Torah, then what 
what wins is the authority of rabbinic tradition. Now, in case you, you find that outraging, out, in, if, thank you, outrageous. Um, just realize the fact that in the church, you've had very similar, similar trends. There are lots and lots of things uh, that are done in the church that are not scriptural um, and are traditional. And everybody takes it as this is what we do because we've always done it. Um, so the issue for us is not is something traditional, but rather is it positive or is it negative? Is it something that is consistent with the Word of God? Or is it something that is contrary to the Word of God? So, for example, to, to, to give you an example, um, when it comes to uh, Jewish tradition regarding uh, memorial services and, and graveside service, I know this is wonderful. I'm thinking about this because I got the call from the, the uh, the cemetery encouraging me to buy plots for me and, and enjoy. <laughs> so that's kind of my sick mind. Huh? It is a package deal, yeah. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Uh, so um, uh, there, there are things about Jewish tradition that I find absolutely wonderful. Uh, it speaks about the resurrection. Uh, it speaks about God's sovereign justice, um, which is huge because when you lose someone and it was hard circumstances, you can get bitter. And, and one of the traditional prayers is Adonai Natan. This is Job's, Job's uh, prayer. The Lord is, and and it, it kind of it kind of uh, releases uh, all kinds of yuck because you say, okay, I don't understand it, but it's God. Positively, on the other hand, there are some prayers that are that definitely do not fit with Scripture. One of those is a prayer called El Malera Hamim, the God of All Mercy, that basically is someone akin to the Catholic notion of purgatory. Uh, it basically uh, says to God, God, would you bring so and so into the bosom of Abraham? In other words. We have no clue where he or she is at this point. Uh, they're somewhere, but would you bring them into the bosom of Abraham? So that's problematic. Uh, and, and that kind of fits into uh, aspects of Jewish tradition that say that when someone dies, you recite the Kaddish for a year uh, with expectation that over that uh, period of year, that they, they would come into the bosom of Abraham, so to speak, into Gan Eden. So obviously we can't accept that because uh, for us, Scripture is very clear that when you die, you have already experienced God's judgment one way or the other. That either either he has, he has given you his stamp of kashrut and, and you go to be with him, or you don't. And so... Um, so that's why, you know, we, um, we huh? So um, it's something for us to, to be aware of uh, and, and just to make sure that the traditions that we do observe bring honor and glory to God. And when we believe that what we have uh, Digested and and sifted over a number of years, uh, does that? Uh, there's some absolutely beautiful, wonderful, uh, uh, God-inspiring, uh, God-honoring prayers. So, all right, slichot, um, forgivenesses. Remember that OT is the feminine plural in Hebrew. Yes, remember that. You don't remember that. Uh, so we don't say Shabbats, but we say Shabbatot. All right, now I've said that, we can move on. Um, so the notion of Slichot is based on a couple of things. 
One is um, that we need to repent. Um, and that we need to receive God's forgiveness. Um, and, and, and this is uh, a very positive aspect of, of traditional Jewish teaching that says that a person has to, to repent a day before they die. And since no one knows when they're going to die, you have to repent every single day. Amen. Uh, <laughs> really can't argue with that. Uh, scripture is full of exhortation encouragement for us to, to repent. And unfortunately, by the way, I'm, I'm mounting a soapbox here for a minute. Unfortunately, that is not something that is often emphasized in a feel-good culture. In other words, God is your buddy. He wants to bless you. Um, here are the ten easy ways to, to follow him and to get the blessing and so on. And so the notion that God is a holy God and that we by nature are, are not um, means that every single day and twice on Sunday we do stuff that grieves the heart of God and so for us repentance uh, is not something that we do once a year but there are special times when we bring it up to the, to the surface to, to emphasize it to be an encouragement for us to repent the rest of the year uh, why, why repent during the season? Well, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you may know, and this is of course the, what the negative aspect of the tradition for us, is that um, the month of Elul, uh, which is this year from September 4th till August uh, 2nd, uh, October 2nd. Huh? Second. Yeah, um, it is the time of preparation for the High Holy Days. Now, why, why prepare, again, according to tradition, um, positive, negative? Um, according to tradition, you want to prepare for God's special, um, special events, the Moadim, the, the special festivals. Something very, very scriptural. Uh, you have all kinds of examples in the Word of God where the Lord says to Israel over and over and over again, I'm going to do something special, but I want you to prepare. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, the giving of the Torah, before God gave the Torah, He said to Israel, prepare, wash yourself, put on clean clothes, and be prepared for the fact that I'm coming. In other words, this is not just something you're going to do and say, ho-hum, all right, uh, what have you done for me lately? Uh, but you prepare. And Yeshua does the same thing. Before the coming of the Spirit, what did Yeshua say to his disciples? Hmm? Can't hear you, Amana. Somebody? To wait. To wait. To wait. To wait. To wait. To wait. Uh, for 10 days and waiting waiting for uh, the coming of the Spirit meaning that they needed to be prepared and God does that with us so this is a positive thing okay positive aspect of tradition um, and we do that not just with we as a congregation do that not just um, for the high holidays we also do that for the spring holidays if you haven't been here with us, uh, you'll find out that we have a week of prayer before the holidays, before the fall holidays, and a week of prayer um, before the spring holidays. That's what we feel we need to do in order to be prepared for what God wants to do with us during those special holidays. So the idea of preparation, you know, whether it's the month of Elul or whenever it is, is a good thing, right and proper. Uh, not so good is is um, how tradition defines these holidays. 
that you have the 10 days of awe, uh, because from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur are how many days? Ten. Ten. Ten days. And that according to tradition, God opens the book of life, and they're left open for those period of 10 days, and that um, a traditional Jew is expected to, um, to fast, uh, to, to uh, uh, set things in order, and uh, do house cleaning uh, as far as their relationship with other people, and then also do their um, house, house cleaning with uh, their relationship with, uh, with God. Again, that's also still positive. What, what, is, what I find problematic then, of course, is, is the notion that at the end of Yom Kippur, then God shuts the door and says, that's it. Um, that a person's fate for the coming year is determined um, on that day. Uh, and and the, the expression for it is ne'ila. It comes from the shutting of the gates of the temple, shutting of the gates of heaven. Um, so, uh, again, the need for sifting. Um, so, yes, we obviously celebrate uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We, uh, we find the reasons for them in scripture rather than in tradition. So, repenting, to come back to this theme, repenting is something that is necessary uh, because person needs to receive God's forgiveness. And by the way, slichot in particular, penitential prayers, are based on the notion of we sinned corporately, Israel as, as a nation sinned, God was obligated to punish us, uh, and as a result of that, all kinds of things happened to us, um, and we know that it was at least partially caused by our sin, and so we ask for God's forgiveness and restoration. Good stuff. So, um, this is kind of a weaving of both the tradition and, and now I'm, I'm going to take some time to park on Scripture uh, exclusively. So, uh, you may have heard people talk about forgiveness in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. By the way, does everybody know what Tanakh stands for? Yes? You don't. Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. The Torah, the prophets, and the writings, such as historical books. So, uh, that's kind of our preferred lingo. So, um, what you may have heard some people um, who are believers in the church would say something like that in the Old Testament you really didn't have genuine forgiveness. And, and this is, I, I believe, a, um, an explanation or, or a tradition that's fading, but it, it's, it, it was more, it's very strong when I was growing up. And the notion basically was that when a person brought a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, uh, to the temple or the tabernacle, um, that what actually happened is that um, he or she were not really forgiven, but their sin was covered so that God wouldn't see it and, and wouldn't, wouldn't um, uh, be angry. It was kind of a, a, a appeasing God. Is that a Jewish tradition? No, no, I'm talking about the church now. I moved, I moved from Jewish tradition <laughs> to the church. And then I'll come to scripture. Okay, that help? Yes. All right. Um, and and I've, I've heard that a whole bunch of times. Um, in fact, that's, you know, when you take time to go through your notes, you'll find uh, one of the people actually saying that. Another form of that is that uh, there was some value uh, in the animal sacrifices, but th 
the, the full package didn't really come about until Yeshua came. Now, how do you digest that? Well, people, people then draw our attention to Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10. So let's look at a couple of verses here. Uh, 14 and 14. Well, this is a great story, Floyd. Blessings upon you. All right. Um, Hebrews. Let's look at that. And where's my computer? Oh, Hebrews 9, excuse me. Hebrews 9, 9 and 10, 4. So, who is Linda? You look like you're going to read that. Mm-hmm. Please. Um, do you want me to start in eight? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 10, 10, 14, 10, 4, rather. 10, 4. Right. Okay. So you have a couple of very strong statements by the writer of the book of Hebrews. Okay. One of them says that the animal sacrifices could not perfect the conscience of the individual who brought the animal sacrifice. Okay? How did that work? Well, you would, if, if, if this was the tabernacle or the temple, you would bring the animal, you would lay your hands on the animal. If this was a, uh, uh, a sin offering, you lay your hands on the animal, you confess your sin uh, before the priest who is standing here, and, and the animal would be killed, and that would be the principle of life for life. In other words, uh, you, w- when you confess your sin, you say, I am worthy of death because of my sin. And in my place, this animal is going to die, and, and, and this is God's means of providing forgiveness and cleansing for me. Okay, that's a $64,000 question, which we may cover a little bit. Okay, uh, if we don't, then by all means, well, you know what, I'll give you a, a quick response. Uh, atonement. Uh, forgiveness is part of atonement. And atonement is a package deal, or to use another metaphor, it's like a um, multifaceted diamond that yes includes forgiveness, it includes reconciliation with God's, it, it includes healing, it includes all kinds of things. Um, in the New Testament it also includes victory over, over darkness. So forgiveness is, is part of it. Okay. Reason I ask is because I'm thinking of David when he sent his confession. God gave him because of his confession. Right. And there was no Okay, uh, you ask a good, another good question. Uh, the the um, majority of cases, 95% cases, where you have atonement taking place, it was with an animal sacrifice. There were other uh, rare instances where atonement takes place and God forgives an individual, forgives the nation without an animal sacrifice. But, but the general principle is the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you as atonement for the soul in Leviticus 17.11. So, uh, what the writer of Hebrews, and again, remember, who is the writer of Hebrews talking to? He's talking to, to Jewish believers who were in all likelihood very committed to, uh, to a Jewish uh, 
tradition, uh, Torah lifestyle, and possibly we're being drawn away from a simple-minded approach, simple-minded commitment to Yeshua. Uh, so what the writer is saying is, look, the animal sacrifices uh, functioned, but they didn't do the whole job. Okay, they functioned in that there was forgiveness. And you sinned, you brought, you committed one sin, you brought an animal that took care of the one sin. But think of the logistics and mechanics of it, that if you lived way up near the Lebanese border and, and you had to travel to Jerusalem, which was a couple of days away, then on the way you, you possibly kicked the dog or, or uh, yelled at your wife or committed some other sin to kind of compound it so by the time you got the, the sin taken care of, the one sin, then you came back and you had a bunch of other sins. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. So you know, think think of, of of your own life. You know, you you someone cuts in front of you, flips you off, and and you want to do likewise and get behind them. And not you guys. Uh, and uh, and then you repent, and then something else happens. So you you get the drift. So. What the writer is saying simply is that um, the animal sacrifices didn't complete the job. They, they didn't make you feel like everything was taken care of. The conscience, okay? Um, chapter 10, verse 4 is a little bit more complicated, but it basically uh, simply means that the animal sacrifices could not do a final job of taking care of all the sins. They function effectively, <clears throat> but we're limited. Okay? Uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 22. Linda, would you read that? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Okay, so you know the folks that park on these two verses then forget nine twenty two, which is very clear that you have to have blood shed in order to have forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. Floyd had a question first. Well, I mean, you, saying it couldn't do the complete job, my gosh, there's not enough animals to sacrifice. Correct. Right. Yeah. And and so the the writer is not saying that that what took place in the temple was worthless, you say. It served a purpose, but it was limited. Yeah, Karen? The only way I can see Paul saying this is because Yeshua had died. Um, amplify. Well, like Floyd just said, um, God said that if they killed animals in the temple, he was satisfied. Now Yeshua has died and given his blood and so Paul can write this now but I don't think he could have written it before you no no in other words uh, the writer of the Hebrews and, and I I'm I'm not convinced it was Paul the writer of Hebrews is simply saying that with Yeshua you have the complete package yeah. well wasn't it wasn't it because the, the temple the temple and the sacrifices that were here are copies of what is to come. Because the animals and the sacrifices were, like in verse 23, which goes on below it, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified through its blood. They're not what the heavenly things are. They're copies of them. And so it was when Christ didn't enter into the temple, he entered into the, entered into heaven. And that's why it's, a di it's, it's the fulfillment. It's not a copy of. Is that... You, you understand where I'm going? Yeah, and at some point you kind of launch into into the stratosphere with, with some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And and uh, the point of, of the writer of Hebrews is to, to, to simply say, look, what we had before was good stuff. What we have now is, is superior. Right. Because it's able to, to not only forgive us and cleanse us 
outwardly and forgive us for the one, but also it goes deep. Yes, sir. I think a point uh, is what it says in uh, 25. Further, he did not enter heaven to offer himself over and over again, like Lacon, Haridadol, who entered the holy place year after year. I think that uh, kind of explains why it is a superior once and for all. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of the main reasons why Yeshua's offering was superior, because it wasn't just, it, it, it wasn't over and over again. There are a number of other reasons why what Yeshua brought was superior. Yeah, Rabbi David. Do you think, altogether, you started off by talking about how the traditional church maybe looks at sin as not authority or what it was, and not effective. Is the, would you say is the point here, obviously the focus, if we talk about superior, better, and all this, according to what God had given them and with the coming of Yeshua you have the complete package okay uh, back to forgiveness um, you have words for forgiveness in the Tanakh appear about 40 times that's a lot of times uh, in the Old Testament that speak about forgiveness and by the way forgiveness uh, there are a couple of words one is Nasa. Uh, and the other one is Salach, from which we get Slichot. That is the mnemonic device to remember what Nasa means. Nasa, lift off, practice, all that. Wow. Did you catch that? Nasa, Nasa. from different sides of the ocean. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nasa has the idea of either lifting or taking away. Okay? So it's, it's, it's a fairly broad word uh, that can mean carrying or lifting away. But when it comes to atonement, it has to do with the notion that God lifts and carries away the sin. That's what forgiveness is. So that obviously means that it's not a pretend kind of thing under the animal sacrifices, but rather it's serious business. God actually does that. And we look at a couple of verses. Uh, salach simply means to forgive, and it's a word that's only used in reference to God. Okay? Why? Because um, this especially speaks about the character of who God is. God is a forgiving God. Um, and, and this is something I, I, I want to park on for, for a while. You know, we have such cockamamie ideas of who God is. You know? Uh, things go badly well. God punished me because I, I wasn't uh, doing what I was supposed to be doing. And besides, he's kind of mean to begin with. And if I'm having fun, he's going to look down and say, no, 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 no. we've got to cut it out. Um, we, we, forget, we forget the fact that uh, what defines who God is, is his desire to bring about, and this is a related word, shalom, is to bring about shalom, which is uh, peace, wholeness, and completion. And, and I, at least I find it fascinating that uh, in the Old Testament you have 40 references to forgiveness. Why? Be again, it emphasizes who God is. Now I want to look at a couple of verses um, 
first of all, in Exodus um, 32, and then um, Exodus 34, and then also in Numbers 14. So let's uh, first of all start. And Mr. Zims, are you going to read for us? Uh, the spectacles, okay. Um, here is, of course, okay, and um, Moses is asking God for that. What? Something. Um, and uh, so let, let's turn then to 34 verse 9. Will expect it. Yochanan. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, I will let you live. I pray, go among us, even though there are stiff necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us into your inheritance. Okay. So here, here again you have forgiveness. Now back up to uh, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. Think about the context. I mean, I, I know we say, well, a golden calf, all right. And think about the implications of the golden calf. What had happened before the golden calf? And then a short spell later, the, the, the people get, uh, in Jewish we, we say shpilkes, uh, pins and needles, they get restless and, and they, they, they get, plain English, they get stupid. <laughs> and and uh, they say, make us gods, you know, who brought us out of Egypt. It's like, hello, do you have any brains? later, you're saying, uh, we want some visible uh, uh, something that, that uh, we're going to 
worship as the one who brought us out of Egypt? And you say, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and, and so it was, it was foolish, but remember that part of the deal when, when they did these things, it wasn't just you know singing uh, songs and, and worshiping the, the greatness of, of the calf. It was basically an orgy. And people were whacked out of their minds. And so for God, this represented nothing less than, than prostitution. In fact, the word prostitute uh, appears a whole bunch of times in reference to Israel following false gods. Yeah, Mary. I'm just thinking They did, they did. Uh, by the way, somewhat like what what we do. Um, and uh, Moses sees God's anger, uh, which is incredible. But we have to understand, just like human emotion, human anger, anger typically represents hurt and pain. And and God's anger represents. His, his broken heart that he, that he was um, that he was cheated on by, by the nation of Israel so that happened and yet here you have one of the greatest revelations of God in throughout scripture think about it um, and, and yes it is for Moses but it's not only for Moses Understand that the, the picture that's taking place here is God is saying, Moses, this is who I am. I want you to tell the people, this is who I am. And this is after, very shortly after, the golden calf episode. So God tucks Moses uh, behind the rock because there's no way Moses can, can see a God's full bore uh, glory and live. Then he zips in front of him and he proclaims all these names. Well, they're not names. They're not merely names. They are descriptions of God's character. This is who I am, Moses. And think about it. You know, in, human, in a human relationship where, where there's been significant break between, say, a husband and wife, and then all of a sudden there's the, one, of, one of them decides to open up their heart and say, here I am. I'm vulnerable. This is me. And that's basically what God is doing. <clears throat> the, the Lord, the Lord, merciful, compassionate, um, and forgiving. In other words, when the Lord presents himself uh, to Moses to communicate to the people of Israel, after the golden calf, he doesn't say, uh, you mess with me and I kill you. That's not the go-to position. The go-to position is, I am delighted to, to be able to forgive. And so, uh, the notion that this wasn't complete until the coming of Yeshua, uh, God forgave. And think about the implication. If God did not forgive Israel at that point, what would he have done if he had not forgiven Israel? He would have killed them. He would have obliterated the nation. So the fact that he didn't means that he had forgiven the nation of Israel. I think in the church, their confusion is they think of, they think of forgiveness 
eternal life in terms of your there's 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 a forgiveness there's a there's a pardon um, for the for the Old Testament for the Old Testament believers they were forgiven but but the church was never really sure in terms of what would happen to those that died prior that was the way it was always explained kind of from the public we're not real sure what happens to people that died before Yeshua came after Yeshua came then we've got that all figured out but prior they're like well, I don't know I can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so, which to me is illogical. So there has to be there has to be continuity. God is never is doesn't change. Right. Con- there has to be continuity. Right. So to coming back to what you were saying, which I totally agree, is there it had to have been. If otherwise, if the blood was not was not the sacrifice, and if that did not take place, then then God would be changing. And God says, I am not changing. Correct. Did they teach that Yeshua went down into hell? Yeah, the, 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 big, the big thing, and this is a segue, I'm sorry. It's all shut up. Segue. Can, can we leave the Apostles' Creed for another, another discussion? Uh, by all, uh, with all due respect, Karen, uh, we, we want to get back on track. Um, that position that you described is not only inconsistent logically, it's also unscriptural. Yes. Because, because the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 makes it very clear mm-hmm. that, that the folks who lived before Yeshua are yeah. in the same place that we are. Yeah. yeah. That's right. why they teach in Andrews the glaciers. I never heard that. What he said. You know, it's it's. Uh, the, the description was exactly where she was going. That was how it took place. Then. It it yeah. And, and, and so yeah. So yes, the what you see what you see throughout Scripture is a principle called progressive revelation. That as time goes on, the Lord kind of un- rolls rolls the the Torah and and more and more and more so that you get more stuff here than you did back here. Okay? Um, and so, yes, you can understand that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David, didn't know as much about heaven and eternal life as we do. However, Scripture is very emphatic about the fact that they went ahead of us. Right. They, they, they were the, uh, they're the cheerleaders who, who finished the race are sitting waiting for us to finish. Um, and so, um, I just want to make sure you're clear. That was not my position. I'm just telling you that was a position that was was set. Yeah. And so, so my point in all of this is that you really cannot understand God's relationship with Israel if you don't understand that God had forgiven the nation not only then but also other times. Uh, why? Because this is who He is. Now, to, to draw a, a major application, when you think about this, that should, that should really give a great deal of comfort to us. Well, it does for me. Because um, there are all kinds of times when, when I think something and I think, oh boy, where did that garbage come from? Or I say something and and I uh, want to beat myself up because I realize it wasn't exactly the word of God. You know what I'm saying? Um, and yet, I, I don't, I don't uh, flagellate myself in black and blue. Why? Because I know who God is. That, that, you know, that is what determines the sanity and the basis for life. And we see that over and over and over and over again with the nation of Israel. Um, another example, well, I guess we'd better finish. I know Rabbi David is trying to keep me honest. Um, so, a- another source of application is that one reason why we participate in these traditions is we want to identify with the people. Why? Because 
God has called us to be um, his representatives to the nation of Israel and to all nations, but it is Yeshua particularly to the nation of Israel. And we cannot do that without identifying and to, if we identify with, with what is taking place during the season, then we will be able to intercede because an intercessor is someone who has to be able to identify with the people that, that they intercede for. Because <coughs> otherwise they're over here looking down instead of saying, no, I, 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 I'm part of what's, what's taking place. And so that's why we do what we do because the Lord has called us to be part of the community and, and to be part of his redemptive work in this community. So there's a lot of stuff that, that we probably didn't cover, but I just uh, wanted to give you an overview, an overview, and then uh, next Wednesday, uh, Rabbi David will continue this. And I, I, I just want to encourage you um, to ask the Lord to show you how to prepare for the holidays. Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily anything. Uh, first of all, the matter of the heart. Say, Lord, how do you want me to be prepared in the heart for what you want to do during these holidays? Um, I believe this Shabbat we will have the, the schedule of all the uh, special events and special holidays and I'd like to encourage you to take those, put them in, in your Bible, and and just prayerfully consider uh, what the Lord wants to do in you and through you during this season. All right, uh, uh, David, would you finish for us, sir? <coughs> Lord, thank you for this opportunity to 